0: I think one of the best pieces of advice uh, I got was actually early on when I started that transition from developer to designer and it was a senior designer who said it and of course when he said it I didn't appreciate it and now that I'm years in I'm like oh I totally get that now because wow it didn't resonate when I first started but he asked me he said Rachel when you were a developer who told you what to do other developers right and I was like yeah he's like now that you're in design anyone with eyeballs will tell you what to do
1: Hello friends, my name is Kirill and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, Uh, You can sign up for my newsletter about UX career, Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now back to the episode. Today, I'm talking to Rachel Krebs, uh, who is currently working at a fan company as a senior UX designer. We'll talk about how Rachel got into the UX field and how her education in chemistry and business helped her gain skills that made her a better designer. We, talk also, we also talk about her love for complexity, and working with internal tools and a ton of constraints uh, and all the challenges that come out of this and why it's important to be authentic to a true self and how you should be tailoring your resume, portfolio and um, interview uh, conversations to match uh, what you're looking for and what kind of job you're looking, you want. Uh, we also talk about portfolio designs that pieces her off <laughs> and some of those um, interesting tips and advice on the projects and how you could add more case studies. And we also talk about the common mistakes during the whiteboarding exercises and um, the whole ethical uh, concern about um, using them as a method to, to interview designers, design candidates. And a lot more. And this conversation is also quite entertaining. And uh, Rachel definitely brings uh, her personality to to our chat. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, hey, Rachel, how are you?
0: I'm good. How about you?
1: I'm pretty dope. Uh, I'm. I was looking forward to this conversation, and I'm really happy that you could find time to uh, to come to my podcast and share your opinions and your perspective on some of the questions that job seekers in UX uh, have.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I appreciate your time. OK, so let's start with the, with the just high-level introduction. Uh, and again, as much as you can share, uh, on what you do today and where do you work and what really kind of the scope of ownership there.
0: Sure. OK, so uh, like you said, Rachel, uh, I currently work at a very large tech company. Um, I'm going to keep things kind of vague. Uh, for reasons, Um, and I've been working there for a few years. Before that, I worked at a large bank and insurance company for seven years, so I know that's sometimes a little surprising that someone would stay at a company that long, but they they kept me interested for that many years. Um, I am currently a senior UX designer. I work on uh, internal systems at the moment, which is a passion of mine, Anything else? Have I missed any of your other questions?
1: Um, Okay, you mentioned about the company, which is undisclosed, Uh, the previous path. I think that's good. So you mentioned that you like internal tools, right? Like your passion. Can you maybe elaborate on why you like internal tools? And yeah, what really makes you excited about working on internal tools versus uh, maybe something customer Facing and like more, I guess, leaner experiences because internal tools are very complex. They have really complicated workflows, a gazillion of different stakeholders, processes that you need to consider, different debt from technology or like business, like bureaucracy, or many other layers. So, what really makes you excited about working uh, in this particular area?
0: Yeah, well, actually, pretty much everything you just said is why I like it, ironically <laughs> enough. So, I mean, I, I've done uh, plenty of, of user-facing things, customer-facing things, um, and uh, I got started out in design on a team that owned uh, a customer service experience, Um and so I think part of it is obviously that was what I first got into. So that's how I learned design. I don't have a degree in design. My degrees are in business and chemistry. Uh, I kind of fell into design as a, as a profession. And by fell, fell in, I demanded I do it just because my little <laughs> sister did it. And it seems like something I could do. True story. Um, easy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there's obviously some of that bias. But to be perfectly frank, I love really complicated technical problems where, you know, anywhere you look, there's something interesting and complicated. And especially with internal tooling, you tend to have more compliance and legal. And like you said, there are stakeholders and can I be smart enough and clever enough to make an argument that will resonate with multiple stakeholders? Can I I make something better? Oftentimes that When it comes to internal tooling, companies don't tend to throw a lot of money behind internal tools. And so it really forces you to be really smart about what you're going to do because you're not going to get – you know, the big budgets for like huge names uh, you know, that we would be familiar with in the consumer world, the Alexas, the Google assistants, whatever, tons of money being thrown around. Internally, they're very lean and they're like, let's just get the best that you can do. And so it really forces you to have to focus on what is the most important thing? How can I focus on that and do it best? And then honestly, one of the last things, there's a t- Total ego boost. When you work on internal tooling, you have your users right in front of you, you know, working on consumer facing things. It can be really difficult sometimes to find those consumers, uh, get them in, it can be expensive. It's like a whole rigmarole. When you're doing stuff for your coworkers, it's usually really easy to say, Hey, I'd like to sit down and you tell me how much you hate this tool. And so you can, you get so inspired by your own coworkers and you can get that information and feedback quickly. And if you don't suck at your job, cause we've all done that plenty of times, but when you don't suck sometimes they thank you to your face which is a rarity when you're when you're doing external facing things so for all those reasons i just love internal facing tooling
1: oh that resonates with me on so many levels and uh, <laughs> i agree it it reminds me of the i think it was a quote from one of the geniuses in the design world that um you need to have a lot of constraints to come up with a great design. So like just mm-hmm. without any constraints, without like too many limitations, um, it's it feels like sometimes it's, it feels that it's harder to come up with a creative and really uh, innovative solution. So it's kind of, And maybe it's just psychological, but like for me, I sometimes get stuck if if I don't have constraints. Mm -hmm. And uh, working on internal tools, which I'm also a part of uh, that world, and I also enjoy that much more than uh, consumer-facing products. And obviously, consumer-facing products may get also complicated, uh, may get more, uh, I guess, at least look like and function uh, more closer to the... Uh, internal tools uh think of like asana or some kind of this mm-hmm. more complicated products that are designed as an internal tool i mean they are targeted internal tools um problem space but they are more consumerized like as mm-hmm. a as a kind of even like design trend right uh, that we have been seeing in the last few years but yeah, I agree. Like, I love, I love all those constraints and challenges, and it just like makes me. It feels like it's just the next level of challenge uh, for me as a designer, and uh, consumer kind of, at least the standard what we think of consumer like products, they don't, they don't force me strain my muscles as much, so to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which kind of yeah, it's a bit less satisfying uh, as when you can when you can get to the outcome. On the other hand though like I remember working on on at the fintech before and I actually didn't enjoy I was quite frustrated with the legal and compliance layer mm-hmm. uh of of constraints that they would bring to the table. <laughs> this was so yeah very challenging very challenging for me to kind of um to find the solution there but uh, yeah challenges are challenges. You also mentioned that you stayed, um, that you were surprised that you would want to stay for seven years at one place, right? Mm-hmm. In one of your previous um, companies. Yeah. How, what did they do right to make you stay there for such a long time? Because with, especially with the trend, like the trend I'm seeing across many of my connections is that, and even like outside of the, of the UX industry, that it's first of all, easier to change companies. Mm-hmm. As a as a as a specialist, as an expert in your field, it's much and it, it's become much more common as well. And uh, I'm, um, from my personal experience, I think there is a there is a huge list of benefits of changing companies more regularly, uh, from uh, like going into different problem space to obviously financial gains. Usually, you would be growing your salary faster, your compensation faster. To really expanding your network and getting to know more people and learn from more people, and it's really for me, it's like usually every time you change a job or a company, uh, it's just a huge boost to your growth mm-hmm. as a as a professional and as a human as well. Because the more diverse uh, the team is and like the diverse of your, diversity of the experiences they bring to the table, the yeah, the more I, l- I can learn from them. So it's a bit selfish as well, but. Yeah. So, what I'm trying to say, like, I've seen the trend, like, I'm seeing the trend that more and more people just kind of jump around Mm -hmm. and like stay in a company for less than a year, Uh, and I even personally know some people who who do that uh, quite often. So, I wonder what that company did right. Back to my original question, to keep you motivated and happy and stay there for such a long time.
0: Yeah. Great question. Honestly, the funny part is uh, they did a lot wrong at first. And that actually led to one of the reasons why I stayed. Uh, I was originally hired as a developer. Hmm. And when I came on, I was supposed to be on a team that was focused on on social media platforms. But another college hire had been hired a month before me. And so they had ta- they, that team I was supposed to go on had a need, a greater need at the time. And so he actually took my position. And so I was kind of without a team for about eight months. Um, and I did almost nothing. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a project. I had nothing going on. Um, and I, I almost left that that company and, and changed professions. I, I had been hired, like I said, as a developer that was from my business degree. I had this chemistry degree. And I was like, well, this blows. Maybe I'll just go do chemistry next. So I actually was interviewing uh, and talking to people about chemistry. Um, and. And to be perfectly frank, it, it a lot of luck of my entire career, I can just say all of this happened and then this giant hunk of luck was always involved. Um, I, I happened to talk to the right person right before I, I I thought about leaving the company and it escalated to like a VP or something that some random like kid who just came out of college was going to leave the company. But all of that to say is, They immediately came and talked to me and said, like, I didn't know this was happening. How can we help? And then from there, it just, I was open and honest saying, hey, this isn't working for me. I'd like to try design. Caveat, I didn't know what that meant. Didn't even know what Photoshop looked like. I'd (laughs) seen my little sister do stuff like that. And I thought, why the hell not? Um, And the way that they treated that is they immediately gave me over to a, a senior designer and basically said, make her a designer. Uh, So I apprenticed essentially. And because of that experience that they were willing to admit that they had messed up um, and they, they even came and interviewed me. How do we, how do we avoid this in the future? They made it right. You know, that was what kept me the first time. And then whenever I had a manager who just really clicked with me on that, I love bouncing around. I tell every manager, if I am not learning, I am leaving period. Like that's what gets me up in the morning as I'm learning something new and different every day. You know, I heard you say, you know, if I had moved, I could have more money. I could learn more things and and things of that nature. hundred percent true. But they knew that if they just kept me learning, they would keep me engaged. And so he always loaned me out to Mm. all the different areas of the company. Um, And so it was a banking and insurance company. So of have all these insurances, all these banking accounts, we had financial, I mean, it was, it was huge company. And so it was, it was easy for me to bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and learn and learn and learn and learn. Um, and then I almost left after that because I had become the the lead of their internal uh, channel, uh, owned it top to bottom, soup to nuts, And I was about to leave the company because I was like, okay, I kind of learned all of this. And they had an innovation space. And they said, hey, because I had been loaned out to everyone, they all knew my name. And they're like, oh, my God, you're thinking about leaving. And I'm like, (laughs) yes. And they're like, holy crap, before you jump, try our innovation space. And I was like, okay. So then I got to learn blockchain and conversational design and AR, VR. And so that kept me for another two years because I was like, ah. I get to learn all these new things. Yeah. And then finally at the end of that seven years, I was like, I think I've hit, I think I've hit it. I think I've hit the end. And so all of that to say is I kept learning. And they that company that I was originally with was always willing to help me be in in and work the way that I I, I wanted to, to, to be and in work. And so that that's what they did right for me. They never made me feel like a cog, they always cared. Um, and I had great leaders who always knew what I wanted and I was always open and honest with them about what I wanted. Um, and again, I got really freaking lucky in the right places with the right people who took an interest in me.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. Um. I think the topic of being lucky is almost like another series for, for, for the podcast. I think you can go really deep into this, but um, let, let's move on. We have a bunch of other questions to tackle, but very interesting. And I agree, the learning is definitely probably my my biggest priority when I think about staying, when I make a decision about staying or leaving. Uh, I guess the secondary or maybe like the, the tie for the first place is the the management and like my my direct uh, supervisor, um, which it at least from my point of view impacts the the employee experience, maybe even the most. And what you said, like that you were lucky to to have like a supportive manager, at, like at that stage, and that they helped you learn and grow and like loaned you out to all of the other teams. I think this was actually one of the yeah lucky moments. But again, like was it luck? <laughs> Or was it... Uh, <laughs> who knows? Okay. Uh, let's talk about... Okay, we talked about your path in the previous roles. That's interesting. Let's talk about the things you wish you knew when starting your career. And um, it kind of relates to uh, to what you already mentioned, that you started in the chemistry world uh, and like your education chemistry, right? And the business. And then you just watched or observed your sister who was um, doing something similar, I assume also UX. Mm-hmm. Um, and you thought like, why not? And like, it sounds easy and interesting and uh, challenging for me enough. And um, yeah, I can do it. And uh, I think that's a good approach to, to tackle any problem or any goal that you may have and just like uh, roll your sleeves and um, yeah, just kind of dive into this. So Thinking in re- retrospect, um, I'm sure that you've learned a lot, especially without having the formal education as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah, what kind of findings, like takeaways, key takeaways uh, from all this experience that you've you've gathered over the years? What would really help you at the beginning?
0: Oh, that's a really great question. I think there were so many different things so many different things um first but the photoshop icon looked like that <laughs> it've been nice to know before i had to do something with it that was that was a funny google um but uh, i think I think one of the best pieces of advice uh, I got was actually early on when I started that transition from developer to designer and it was a senior designer who said it. And of course, when he said it, I didn't appreciate it. And now that I'm years in, I'm like, Oh, I totally get that now because wow, it didn't resonate when I first started. But he asked me, he said, Rachel, when you were a developer, who told you what to do other developers? Right. And I was like, yeah. He's like, now that you're in design, anyone with eyeballs will tell you what to do and i didn't get it at first um but he's 100% right it's it's i did not understand having come from more specialized fields like chemistry where it's like yeah only other chemists are going to make fun of you for being an idiot like most other <laughs> people are going to be like i don't even know what you did nor do i care um but when it comes to design and I, I started telling people this that not everyone can be a designer but everyone is affected by it and as a result everyone has opinions and so having to really understand and this is where I was so blessed to have that that business degree where a lot of businesses networking and making friends and shaking hands and the whole rigmarole how much that actually helped me in my UX design because I can't do anything without those relationships because yes anyone anyone with eyes is going to judge what you do and so your ability to be effective is really based off of you primarily Uh, You know, your personality, your ability to influence your ability to make those business cases. Um, So I think that that was one thing. I think the other thing that I would have been nice to know was that starting out and not, like you said, I had no idea what design was. I just saw my sister do it and thought, screw it. If she can, I can. Cause I'm that, I'm that arrogant. She has a de- like a degree that I was like, well, of course I can such a jerk. But in any case, um, was understanding that the background I had actually worked. So I'm not, I didn't do the stereotypical things or what I thought was stereotypical design growing up. You know, I'm not that kid who's sketching. I'm not like real arty. I'm, I'm more into the math, the sciences and the sports. And so it's like, I don't know why I said I could do this. This is I'm not that stereotypical, you know, more graphic design or UI design. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did have from the chemistry degree was a deep understanding of strategic thinking and outcomes. So when when you're in chemistry they teach you how to ask questions how to question assumptions how to see 10 steps ahead because if you if you ma- if you mix these reagents you have to know that in 10 steps it's going to explode and so you have to be able to think through all of that and so a lot of when i first came in you know there's the imposter syndrome it's not even for me it wasn't even necessarily imposter syndrome it was truly you don't know what you're doing and so you like you have to make it up as you go but and you'll be like, I don't know colors, I don't know fonts, I don't know typography, I don't know any of these words they're using. But as I it, as it got better, uh, my my uh, the guy who is who is basically I was his apprentice. I remember the first time he asked me for critique, and it was the most amazing thing because I I remember I started giving him critique. And I was like, dude, why are you, I literally stopped halfway through and said, why are you asking me? I'm the junior. You've been in the game for years. Why are you asking me? And he stopped and he said, because you're the most logical person I know. So if I show you my design and there's a logic flaw, you will find it. Hmm. And that changed the game for me. That's when I realized I didn't have to be that visual designer. I didn't have to like fall in love with typography. It was the fact that I understood logic and systems was enough to be the type of UX designer that I am. Obviously, I'm a particular type. I'm not like I said. Please don't come to me and ask for fonts as a dyslexic. I'm like, is it legible? Great. Let's just do that. Um, but I think that was that would have been nice to know that you know what I had already learned in other professions I could apply readily and easily to the ux field uh to be successful
1: that's actually a very i, I love this point it's an amazing point and i think this would be relevant for so many people who are starting out today uh, who are changing careers and i've heard so many times from from especially non-directly related professions like careers uh, and i would argue before i just heard what you said uh, that chemistry is not directly related (laughs) to ux design but you kind of changed my mind here um converted me so i think this would be super available because there is an assumption that in most cases unless it's either marketing or maybe development or business uh or maybe like architecture and uh, psychology so there's like a kind of common things that are at least have lots of Overlap mm-hmm. between that, those um, professions and UX design. Uh, that if it's not one of these one of these closely related professions, then like you're kind of lost your time and you kind of have nothing to present, and you, you're starting from zero. Mm-hmm. Which I always disagree, and um, I think your example and how you also communicate and um, explained it. Uh, I think it shows a really good it's a good case uh for proving my point and even like uh, some people you know when they switch careers from basic customer service in restaurants i'm i'm like my belief and i've also had experience working in customer service in, in retail my belief that uh, the skills that you you build there especially working with people and really asking the right questions and understanding uh what they really need instead of what they are saying they need and really kind of navigating through this Q&A to guide them through basically to the right solution and a bunch of other things about like networking and real communication with humans this is like a such a widespread and very critical skill uh for for UX designer so and lots of people who change careers they don't really they kind of somehow immediately forget or dismiss what they've learned mm-hmm. and I always struggle with that like I'm kind of like uh, it's uh, you, you just like you, you need to analyze what exactly you were doing there and there's you will be surprised how much overlap and really cross functional or cross functional cross profession skills that you can apply that you learn there and practice there especially if they come from a i guess if they have at least some real work experience in a work setting and they really build this uh, soft skill muscles um, that are totally applicable in the UX design world, and you're completely right about that everyone with eyes or ears, for example, if you work on like a voice or like some other mediums, mm-hmm. right, uh, would be the judge of what you design. And I mean, we're humans, we're like always really want to share our opinions and have our own thoughts on on experiences, even if we're, if we're not qualified as kind of experts in design. And yeah, I, that kind of resonated with me as well. It's like, it's my daily daily life <laughs> oh yeah um so yeah I think this is, this is uh, I just wanted to say that this is an excellent point I, I love it and yeah you kind of I learned about the the chemistry background now a bit more and um yeah how you describe it it definitely resonates with the i guess more a designer who is more focused on like the ux piece and not just kind of the visual design but really the core underlying so to say the architecture of the of the digital experiences world logic uh questioning really kind of seeing through the whole journey analyzing all the steps and like kind of the different paths how you can go and like what will happen so i think it's super critical uh for as you say, like you have a specialized uh, role mm-hmm. um yeah very very good comment i love it thinking from the i guess from the point of view of uh, the entry level or junior uh, ux designers today mm-hmm. the competition is huge and with all these boot camps and like other additional kind of quicker programs google certificates and everything more and more people uh, join this field right mm-hmm. and i'm all for it but this creates a, a much fiercer competition for job seekers, because they have to compete with gazillions of other similar looking profiles and portfolios and and resumes and just really hard to stand out. Mm-hmm. So, and you as a person who has so much experience and who also interviewed so many people from the company point of view, right, from the interviewer mm-hmm. side, uh, I wonder what advice would you give to junior and entry-level folks? How can they really stand out from the crowd?
0: Yeah, that's a it's a tough question. Um I think, you know, I think the first thing that I would say isn't necessarily even how to stand out from the crowd. I think the first thing is to be comfortable with who you are. So like I said, you know, I I I show up as myself everywhere I go. And some people love that and some people hate it. And so the first thing I would want to tell people is, look, if you are trying to change who you are to match some company for whatever reason, you've already lost. Because when you do show up as your authentic self, they're going to be surprised and you might be surprised in how they react to you. So first, my first thing off the bat is don't try to change yourself to fit some Version of whatever this company is. If you guys don't fit, you don't fit. It doesn't make you bad or you wrong. You just don't fit. There's a billion companies. Find another. And if you're so inclined and you can't find one, make your own damn company, and then you can fit all the ways that you want to fit. So that off the top. Uh, now, when it comes to you know standing out and presenting your best self, now I think that's a good question. Um, first off. Don't lie. Let's just put that out there. Don't freaking lie about what you've done because jerk interviewers like me are going to push on that and really, really go for you. But so, you know, standing out, don't lie, but you can be clear about what you have done and what you haven't done. Um, And, and, and I think a lot of it is, I want to know what kind of, what kind of leadership opportunities have you had or have you sought out Um, because I, you know, I don't, I don't want to hire somebody that I'm going to have to babysit because I already have a job. I'm good at it some days and I'm not good at it other days. And I really don't want an extra job. So I want to teach you. I want to help you learn. I want someone who is humble enough to learn, um, But I want to know that they can lead things, that they know how to communicate. Your resume should tell a story. It doesn't have to be the best story ever told, but tell me a story that is coherent within your resume itself. I worked here. I led these things. I changed this process. You know, things of that nature are are really helpful. I think you, I tend to hire for UX design We we tend to hire for the things that we are already in. And so I want to know that you have actually talked to a user. So if you can tell me, hey, I did a user interview one time. I'm like, oh, thank God you've met the basics. Uh, You'd be surprised how many people have not. Uh, There was a manager once that uh, I knew who was interviewing for a a position. And I was on the interview. And this individual had worked 25 years in the design profession. And then when I asked, well, how many users when the last time you talked to a user and what'd you learn? They had never once talked directly to a user. That was shocking. And so if you give me a resume that shows that you have talked to users before, that you understand some of our most basic skills, like I know what a customer journey map is, I know what a user persona or a jobs to be done is, like I want to know the basic stuff, like for love of God, get the basics in there. So those are all things, again, I mentioned it earlier, I'm a dyslexic, so if you're going to come at me with, like, different colors and hard-to-read fonts, I will not look at your resume. If you're going for, like, a UI job that, like, you're into typography and, like, that's how you do, great. I'm going to put your resume down, but the person who likes it might love it. So that's just another thing to be aware of. Like, I'm not going to be super stoked on it. Like, not my thing. But someone else might. So obviously, tailor your resume to the job that you want. Um, I think that's another thing that I tend to tell people. You know, if if what you want to do is UX, highlight your UX skills. If what you want is like UI, then highlight your UI skills. Uh, and, and meet my basic expectations. I think those are probably, and of course, this fell out of favor a while ago and thank god that trend that was out there was like i'm like some progress bar amount of whatever skill and i'm like i'll tell you one person did that said that they understood html i asked them about it in their uh, interview and boy that i would not have had that bar filled as well they ended up looking (laughs) real wrong when i asked them some questions because again you know my background's in development so i like Like I said, I'm a jerk interviewer who's like, is this the pain? Is this the pain? And just point out. So that's what I'd probably say. I don't know if any of that was helpful, but that's my point of view.
1: That's good. Uh, What about the portfolio? And uh, Mm. a bit more kind of tactical on the structure that you would expect, um, especially with your UX lens. What I've seen, there are two camps of people who who kind of the readers or like the, the audience for the case studies. And they have actually opposite opinions on like what should be the structure so i wonder what's your opinion on that the format the number of projects uh, and maybe mistakes and other tips that you could um, give to the audience
0: yeah so like i said i am a busy lady so anything you do that makes me work harder we're not off to a good start maybe there are other people who have time to scrutinize i do not so uh, first off, nothing pisses me off more than when you just have a set of images with no context, because then you are relying on me, the busy asshole on the other ha- half of the screen to click on every single one and read what you did. And what was the project? I don't have time. So what I would rather you do is, you know, give me two or three, i I'll probably more than two. If you give me two, I'll be a little sad. Give me at least three. Give me, give me at least three. Three things. Um, And I want to know, just tell me before I click on it what I'm looking at. Is it, this is the name of the project? This is what I did on it, like UX design or UI design, whatever. And like the name of it. So I'm not clicking on it and going, oh, apparently you made, I don't know, like some flower pot. I don't care. I thought this was, you made some like water sensing device and that was not correct. Uh, So help me out ahead of time. So I know who you are and what you think just to even get into the darn thing. The next thing that I'm going to start doing is once I get into the case study is I'm going to quickly scan for um what role you played so if you can call that out for me that's super helpful um and then i want to know what was the problem you were trying to solve who are your users uh i want to see something uxe give me like a flow give me like a something give me something i don't know give me give me something i can quickly look at and go oh, that's what they were doing uh and then i'll i want to see some kind of high fidelity something or other just to be like can you actually design something Um, but that's kind of the way it is and yeah I've seen people who who will write a novel god bless them for having that amount of time I don't have time to read it I will read highlighted things um and then and then move on so I think I mean that's kind of stuff and you don't have to go into depth on every damn thing I don't care I really don't I want to know that you know how to break down a problem, you know how to come up with design goals based on that problem, talk to a human being, and then tested the darn thing, build it and like tested it is usually the best. And then obviously give me the results. If you have them, tell me, I just want to know. Um, Because if you just shout it into a void, like, cool. Also, when did you get feedback on that? Um, So I think those are, those are kind of my big deals that, that I want. And from that it's, it, then it's just basic stuff so i'm a huge fan of accessibility if you come at me with inaccessible colors if you're doing that kind of crap like basic stuff i am not i will i guarantee you if you come at me with an inaccessible site and there is some light gray on some fucking white i'm gonna call you out in in the interview a hundred percent i'm going to ask you do you understand how to design for users of different needs and abilities So just know that you probably won't always run into someone like me. Is that like, I will cut you for this. Uh, But just FYI. Oh, and then of course, please make sure your information architecture makes sense. I don't, like, don't put me, it's just basic. A portfolio becomes a basic website design. I am judging the structure of your portfolio even more so than your actual case study. (laughs) There was one woman uh, that I looked at a portfolio for and it was linear forward only. I could never go backwards. Oh, I was, suffice it to say, I demurred on her and sent her to other teams. Um, so just basic kind of stuff. Your portfolio is a design problem. I'm your user. Go talk to people. What do jerks like me want to know? So those are mine.
1: Yeah, this is a very entertaining, first of all, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> so appreciate adding the flavor here and your personality. And super valuable as well. Um, so, and... The, the whole challenge about like different expectations that I mentioned before we started recording is really that that's your particular expectations, right? And then you're saying that like it's basics for you, but for people who are just starting now, they hear different advice from different people in the industry and they're getting confused about like what really they should do. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of that's the reason why I'm trying to bring more Kind of to illustrate the diversity of the opinions uh, in the in the on the interviewing side as well. And um yeah, I love it. One more question I had on the portfolio. So thinking mm-hmm. from the thinking of a situation when you are just graduated graduated from a boot camp, let's go with this, which is okay. like the a big a big number of new entrants in the market today, right? Uh they go maybe through like six months program or four months, and I think the, the, the length of the programs decrease with every next week. It's like every next week you see a new program popping up that now you can become a designer and get a job within like one week or something. I'm Oof. exaggerating, but but the trend is going that way. Mm-hmm. Um so usually after they graduate, they would have like one standard case study and not even half, but some kind of showing just one of the methods that they learned during the course. Mm-hmm. So this creates um, a gazillion of similar looking templatized, almost templatized uh, portfolios mm-hmm. that's really hard to, uh, again, back to my initial question, stand out from, from other graduates of the same cohort or other boot camps or other types of programs. So, and considering that it's almost like a, it's it's really a chicken and egg situation right so you you're expected to have first of all more projects and you're expected to have some real world pro- like real life work projects mm-hmm. and on the, in order to get a job and in order to get a job you need to to have this in portfolio and in order to add them to the portfolio you yep. need to have a job or at least to get at least a job mm-hmm. so lots of folks today are stuck in this in this particular situation when they they're struggling to to find opportunities or maybe some ideas on how they can add more i guess more proof to their portfolios that they can do the job so the next uh, interviewer the next career manager can really uh, get a better sense comparing to this like one case study that they get from the from the program so if you were to start doing like you you graduated a bootcamp today uh, or just kind of starting out, right? So you have one one portfolio project, which is hypothetical. What would you do, really? What kind of what steps would you take to to add more projects to your particular portfolio?
0: Gosh, what would I do? I don't know. Run to chemistry? No. Uh, <laughs> probably. <laughs> you know, here's the thing at least for me when I'm interviewing people for entry-level positions, I'm more interested. Can you think, do you know a design process? And can you think, um, I I mean, I don't know if I'm unique in that way, but that's what I'm looking for. So when it comes to trying to pad it out, I'm okay with you doing a, a hypothetical, as long as you, you know, did you actually ask a user? Did you, did you at least do that? So if you're trying to add an extra project, Think about, I mean, the entire world is designed. Everything you're living right now was designed, either intentionally or unintentionally. You experience problems every damn day. You see them every damn day. Pick one of those things, start do just go do it. The boot camp's gonna tell you, it's gonna teach you how to do the process. You saw a problem, you write down what the damn problem is, you go talk to some people to figure out what the damn problem is, then you start ideating and how would you solve said problem. Uh, so just do that uh, you can do that with just so many different things I mean if you if you really had the wherewithal um, there are so many ways you can uh, volunteer with different groups they're like hey I just need someone to help make this support this website better I mean if you have kids you might have them in some sports and their their kids website blows and You can say hey I'm just looking to try and get uh, get some experience. Do you mind if I, if I try to do this? I mean, there's so many opportunities. They're not, they're not easy. They're not handed to you. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's just so easy. It's not, it's really not. It takes time and it takes effort. Um, so first I would use the boot camp to make sure that this is really the, 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 the profession you want to be in. And if not, then cut and run. Cause it's going to be more of the same. Um, but I, that's kind of like pick something you're passionate about. Because if one thing that if I'm doing an interview and I'm talking to someone and they are passionate and excited, you can't not somewhat be excited with them. So if you have you have one that you're like, look, I did this on my own. And I was really excited about it. And I tested it and I talked to people and I did it the, whole, the whole process that's gonna just that will help you so if someone's coming in and I'm doing an interview with them and they're kind of like uninterested they're like well I did this one thing one time I'm like cool you're so uninterested that I'm uninterested in you being here so if you have something that like you're excited about let that excitement come through I mean I'm an excitable person so I really like being around people with a lot of energy and Honestly, when you're, you're done a full day of interviews with people and someone can come in like a little jolt of electricity, that's helpful. So, I mean, that's kind of what I would do is look in your life, look for things that aren't working, look for things that impact people around you, go through that process. That the bootcamp will have taught you. Take those pictures of you talking to users through the whole thing, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, look... Look for ways to volunteer in simple ways. There are so many people who don't have time, effort, money, wherewithal to do stuff, and you can show up and be like, hey, maybe I can help you.
1: What are your thoughts on... So one of the... I guess from all my conversations and observation about the different interview processes that companies use for UX designer, one of the key steps in the process after the initial conversations and like portfolio reviews and everything is some kind of uh, practical hands-on design exercise. Um, Sometimes it could be take-home exercise. Sometimes it could be whiteboarding real-time exercise. And there are different flavors to this. And this topic and uh, some ethical concerns about the way some companies implement um, this stage in the interview process Mm-hmm. and what their expectation is of the time commitment of the free labor or like mm-hmm. ideas generation and so on. There are many many red flags that could be there. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this way because both, both options, and let's take about like the two different ones, like the design take-home exercise, which gives you more time, uh, usually several days um, or at least a few days, Uh, It's really up to you to kind of decide if you want to spend like 24-7 working on this or some limited number of hours, um, even though sometimes there is a guideline. Or a real time before COVID, obviously, in the office, like whiteboarding session, um, which, frankly, I'm a big fan of. Um, But uh, both options have pros and cons, and there are different flavors, so maybe the design exercise could be a paid exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some some employers, some companies offer, I guess, somewhat fair fee for just you going through the exercise, regardless of the outcome, uh, which I already respect. Some companies use either could could use either of those options to solicit ideas for free like mm-hmm. that's related to their business and like it's kind of also an ethical question. Where was going with this? Okay, yeah. So what are your thoughts on um, either either of those or both? And uh, yeah, maybe any tips and any advice or mistakes that uh, candidates that you've seen and you maybe facilitated those sessions um, make?
0: Yeah, um, great First off, let me say this. I am a lazy person. And so if someone was like, "Hey, you get to take this home and work on it," I'd be like, "I'm done here." <laughs> like, it's not. This is this relationship ends today. Um, so first off, again, I said it earlier, pick the company that matches you. Period. Um, so if a company asked me that, I'd be like, "We're not having this conversation because that does not match my lifestyle." Um, but you know, I think, yes, the, there are, they are problematic fundamentally. And it takes a, a company who has good processes. I was going to say ethical, but that may not be, it might just be legal. But in any case, whatever constraint they, they have either imposed on them or that they have imposed themselves. Um, they are definitely things that can be problematic. And so again, I would say if you're going into an interview and someone asks you to do a whiteboard session and it's clearly spec work for them, um, you have to make a decision if that's a company you want to work for, that they wouldn't even begin to exploit people like that. What? Two. Uh, yeah, I do whiteboard sessions. Um, and you know i think they're really interesting i i am never judging you on what your actual design at the end is i don't really care you i prefer first off like i said lazy i'm never going to give you stuff to take home what a what a nightmare but like a one hour help me think how i want to see who you think um i'm more in favor of that again if it's spec work we have to figure out do i really want to work here that they would do this um, and that's up to you. I can't make that the choice for you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Then you know what do you? It's your life, your company, whatever. Um, but when I when I'm looking at whiteboard sessions, I am looking for one fundamental thing. Can you ask questions? That's what I want to know. Can you ask a question? Because in in you know, when you get a job, people are gonna come up to you and they're gonna ask you to do junk. And the first thing I tell all of my interns and all of my entry-level designer is never say yes, always ask questions. Meaning, don't just say yes to stuff because you don't know what they thought. I don't know what you thought. There's all these assumptions. Never say yes, always ask questions. And then after you ask all those questions, then maybe you can say, okay, fine, I'll do this. You almost never have the ability to say no, so don't run around like, I have a no stick. Like, no, you don't. But you shouldn't just say yes because you can't. Um, in any case, so when it comes to whiteboard sessions, the biggest mistakes, the ones that I will, my eyes will glaze, um, is if you just jump in and start solving something for me because you said yes and didn't ask questions. So I want to know, ask me the questions because guess what? Whiteboard sessions, they're intentionally not going to give you all the information. Because they want to see what you're going to do. And so your job is to help try to uncover that. And that's what I want you to do In if you're my colleague. That I can send you to a meeting with some crazy product person who's going to ask for the world. I'm comfortable because I know you're going to ask a whole bunch of questions to slow their roll. And make sure that what they're asking for is logical to literally anyone. Um, so that's, that's mistake number one. Just for the love of God, ask questions. Two... Please don't try to impress me. Like you have 1 hour. I'm not don't just don't. Like be yourself. Um I used to to work in an area with a particular technology that a lot of people know, it's a big name and they knew that. And so in their whiteboard session, they tried to impress me by suggesting a solution using the technology that uh I was on the team for. Guess what? You're not going to you're not going to impress me. Like, I, I work in that area, I work with that technology every day, I'm more likely to go, well, that won't work, That's not how. It, that's not how that works. I mean, if it had been a logical answer, then make it a logical answer, that's fine. But if you're trying to do it just because that person works in that area and I want to impress them, like, maybe think about why you're doing it. Um, so, again, don't don't try to impress. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. The thing I tell everybody at the beginning of an interview is, guess what? The interview is about you. You're the only expert in planet Earth on you. So you should be comfortable knowing that you are the expert. The one thing is with the whiteboard session, I want to see how you think um, to see if you can work through a problem. Um, so be you, but be the questioning, humble, curious you uh and go from there so yeah don't do that take-home shit that's that's messed up man i wouldn't i'm a hard pass i'll never get a job again now that i say that someone's gonna be like Mm-mm, she says she wouldn't she's out I'll be like oh well there you go
1: yeah it's almost like a pre-screening mechanism between um, candidates and companies it's like mm-hmm. yeah the, the only challenge though not the only but one of the challenges is that how do you really and i like the comment that you made initially that choose the company that kind of aligned that is aligned with what you want to do and how you want to do it i think this is key to being happy uh, at work and really do your best job and grow in the way that you want to grow the issue is though is that it's it's practically impossible to find that company So. I mean, it's possible, but it's such a frustrating and slow and manual process. And this is another project that I'm working on, that I'm trying to address this. Uh, I kind of scratch my own itch because I've been through this so many times. When you go through the whole interview process, and it's it's even outside of the, either they use design exercise or whiteboarding, it's like overall the matching between the the next team the next company that you want to join or at least consider joining and your priorities at this stage of your life and career and your preferences and desires and it's such a complicated puzzle that you need to get together right so you need to get some questions from different layers from different roles in the company to really understand have at least Theoretical understanding of what you will experience if you join, if you decide to join, and usually, at least from my experience, in order for me to go and collect all these answers, you would have to go through almost the whole interview process, mm-hmm. and only then, in most cases, I would kind of understand that that's actually not my cup of tea, and I would bail. And this is such a huge time waste for the candidates, for the companies, and it's, yeah very frust- It was very frustrating. Like I yeah I do not look I do not look forward to to the next um, uh, experience like this. The So this is to address the comment about like find the right company. The the secondary though is that obviously you're sharing your opinion and your thoughts, right? And I agree that design exercises are um, often questionable, a questionable method to understand, to get the answers to the questions about the candidate that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. whiteboard is an alternative which is more time conscious because design exercises will take more time even regardless if if they pay for or not if it's uh, ethical questions that they ask you or problems that they give you but sometimes people will not have physical time to do this right so and like companies who have this step in the process they just ignore or kind of do not consider this. What if they have a family with a bunch of other obligations? What if they have parents they need to t- take care of? What they have three other jobs that they have to juggle? And it's really, I think it definitely uh, excludes um, a significant segment of the audience, of the potential candidates of the pool who just uh, won't be able to to kind of to f- have this time. And even outside of your lazy comment, um, that's, Another big audience that they're excluding. <laughs> but me, the
0: few, the proud.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you're kind of a bit more, I guess, on the privileged side, that you can choose. Mm-hmm. Because thinking from the again the lens of the entry-level junior folks, first of all, they don't have experience and they don't really they haven't tried different environments, different cultures, different team dynamics and vibes to really understand what they're looking for and what really resonates with them, right? So mm-hmm. they go, the advice I usually give is really at the beginning of your career, I would uh, prioritize uh, the diversity of different experiences, mm-hmm. different problem spaces, different structures and teams and everything just to really think carefully about your feelings after that and really understand what what you love and what you do not really enjoy as much, right? So, And then with, the, with every next data point that you collect after the next experience, the next team, the next product you work on, you would, your calibration of your own priorities would get better and better with every next step. And only then you would be able to get that. that definitely, if, if the team is asking for design exercise, that's not for me when you have a choice, right? But for the entry level, I, I'm a bit more forgiving of those, I guess, principles that I maybe impose for myself Mm -hmm. because again like going back to my comment about trying as many things as possible uh to really understand if it really makes sense for you um would be my priority so yeah I, i understand your point of view but for the entry level i probably i would disagree here i mean it's definitely the person's choice if they can do this um i would not advise against that
0: sure oh no i mean yeah it makes sense i'm my thing is look if you get the heebie-jeebies from the jump, don't assume them heebie-jeebies is going away just because you get in the dump. Put it that way. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, please. I got, like, I got loaned out everywhere. I 100% agree. Say yes more often than no, especially early on. I'm still saying yes to stuff that I'm like, wow, I hate that. I'll never do that again. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. And, like, with every next yes and every next, yeah. I think you won't be able to learn as much about yourself as a, mm-hmm. as a designer and as a person if you always say no because you just like you won't be able to experience that but if you say yes it's still additional learning either towards validating or confirming what you already know about yourself that you mm-hmm. actually love that direction or uh, uncovering something new and uh, really understand that actually that's not the path i want to go um yeah i think it's constant learning even about yourself right and you're changing priorities too because depending on your on your career stage or maybe, I don't know, even technological uh, environment, and then maybe something new comes up and you kind of actually haven't experienced this yet. Or your life situation, like priorities change uh, and that's totally fine. The, 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 I guess the tricky part is to really be regularly reevaluating what you care about and what you want to do next not to get stuck on the previous information that's maybe already outdated, but really mm-hmm. constantly be in touch with yourself and your priorities um, to make sure that the next choice you make uh, is aligned with where you want to go. I think that's definitely, that, that's been the case for me. It's it's quite fluid and um, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, please. We're all works in progress, y'all. And exactly. if you don't think you are, you probably have more work to do than others.
1: Exactly. Awesome, okay. so. I actually want to to question a bit on this whiteboarding um, choice and the whiteboarding exercise. And I understand that this is like the, the least of the evils from that kind of exercises, that kind of processes or steps in the interview process versus a design exercise What's what's more time-consuming. And um, let's put aside the ethical question, the ethical um, side of it. But from the whiteboarding exercise, first of all, the concerns that I've heard... And I'm just curious to hear how how these uh, resonate with you or not and if you think there is a better way to 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 get the answers you're looking for as an interviewer without using um, whiteboarding as well as uh, obviously design exercises like take home ones so the first concern is like you rarely actually rarely you probably never go through any design um process within one hour in real life mm-hmm. so it it takes a lot of Like a lot more conversations outside of the the questions of the session. It takes more people in this relationship, in this uh, partnership. It takes first of all deeper thinking uh, when you even when you want to formulate the questions because you need to understand the many different things. And with every next thing you understand, chances are you'll get more and more questions. Mm -hmm. So um, and in the sense, like the whiteboard is a bit more it's not really condensed version, but sort of like a condensed uh, MVP version of this whole process. So I understand that that's the purpose of the whiteboarding exercise. The secondary challenge, though, which is probably even more critical, more important, I think, is that thinking about the diversity and inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, increasing the, I guess, making your hiring experience more inclusive, Uh, there are people who are who would be amazing uh professionals amazing designers on your team with really great skills and deep thinking and problem solving but who are just not tuned or not um, uh, in favor with this quick on the spot thinking right but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they cannot really do the job so for for these folks um from what I've heard, like this whiteboarding size is a potential risk, especially at the time the time perspective mm-hmm. uh, and the limited time on this. so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is it do you still think it's ethical choice for a company who prioritizes uh, inclusive hiring practices or who wants to go this route and if there is potentially maybe a more inclusive um, approach that could replace whiteboarding and obviously take home design exercises?
0: Yeah. I think I think you're spot on. Uh I I couldn't agree more that the design exercise and the whiteboarding is specifically tailored to a certain type of person. Period. Um and I think that is exclusionary. To answer your question directly, is there a better way? I would say yeah, there is. Do I know what it is? I sure as hell don't. But I think right now the industry is is lazy. And I'm part of the laziness. I'll raise my hand I'm part of the lazy already admitted it earlier uh that because that has been what we have traditionally done to try to see do you ask questions you know how to think structured Blah, blah 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 um that we've kept it. It's, I think it's It's the the stuff that we bitch about our partners with when they say, it's always been designed this way. And of course, we're willing to to yell at them for it and be like, well, you need to be better. And then it's, you know, look inclusively like or look at our own selves in the mirror and be like, uh, guys, I think we're doing something that uh, needs to be better. And we're just kind of like, mm. I mean, I say that generally. Obviously, there are other people and companies who I'm sure have already figured out what a, a different and better way to do this um so yeah is there a better solution god yeah humans made the made the solution and the problem there's going to be a better way to do this like every fucking time um I just don't know what it is and what I would I mean ideally you would have a, a great number of people helping design these processes how how do what do we really like scrutinize what what is actually required to be successful and allow for that, that serendipity and that, oh wow, I didn't know this little chemist could grow up to someday be a, a senior UX designer. Like who who the hell knew? I didn't. I had a senior designer tell me she was so pissed when I became a designer because she was like, who's this kid? She's not gonna be able to help me at all. Um and then I ended up I could. Uh so I am I'm one of those people who has benefited by not having that process. Uh, So it would be hypocritical of me to to say, oh, well, they should do it because everyone does. I don't think that's true. Um, I'm I'm an advocate of an apprenticeship type of model. That's what I grew up around. That's where it gave me all the time to explore and all those kind of things. I think that's a great model. You know, are people willing to put in the money for it? Companies? Probably not. But should they? Maybe. Um, I think there are different different ideas, different models that can be done. This is just the lazy, efficient way to do it now. It doesn't make it the right way. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way. Um, but I would I would really invite people to, to solve that problem for all those who get cut out of the the system because of our own uh, industry's laziness. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. And uh, I've seen how some, at least very, very few companies try to address this um, this issue is by just removing the step and uh, focusing more on getting um, the answers that they're trying to get with this exercise uh, at earlier stages during the conversations and portfolio uh, presentations um, and yeah just questions and really kind of digging deeper into um, if they can ask the question, questions basically one of the goals of this exercise and what kind of questions, and if they really can work through the problem. So, and I think it's it's a pretty good. I mean, it's it's a reasonable solution, and at least a, a better step in the a step in the better direction to to not, not exclude folks who, who would not really shine at those um, during those exercises because data and kind of um, yeah the performance during these steps. This has been used heavily in the decision making if they want to hire this person or not Mm -hmm. which definitely reduces the diversity of the of the workforce and uh, the team so it's kind of perpetrating the problem um yeah and i i I, as a as a designer obviously (laughs) i i've thought a lot about a possible solution to to this problem and uh, that would solve it for everyone like for the whole industry and Mm -hmm. frankly i haven't found one and um, i think the core problem here is that there are just too many parties involved too many humans that are like representing those companies and job seekers as well and uh yeah, there's just like lack of standard. Like every everybody does their own thing. It's like very fragmented. And if, mm-hmm. for example, you can change it in a few companies, the vast majority of the market will unlikely to follow because they just do their own thing. It's just the lack of any standardization. And um yeah, like yeah, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It's like it reminds me of my uh, one of my I guess one of the quotes that I remember from one of the VCs. Uh, about how they make decisions about uh, if they want to invest in a startup or not. And one of the questions that I, r- I remembered clearly, and I use it I, I think, with every next uh, project that I try to tackle, is uh, they ask a question if the problem is a technology problem or a human problem. Yeah. And if it's a human problem, those should be dealt with by therapists. <laughs> <laughs> and this kind of reminds right. me of that, yeah. So it's, I mean, obviously it's a it's a um, bold statement, but I think if you think about the the underlying causes of these behaviors of these decisions, it's really kind of humans and their lack of understanding of the of the impacts. Mm-hmm. It's lack of real understanding of the ripple effects of uh, on their company and the 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 diversity of their employees and the workforce. So it's really like in order to solve this, you would have to educate every single person who's involved in this, which is un- unreasonable, mm-hmm. um, at least for, for resources that I have. Um, so, yeah, I decided to 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 take, a, I guess, a, a passive approach and observe how the industry and the hiring process evolves in the companies and see if somebody can, can solve this <laughs> that yeah. would benefit the whole industry because it's definitely, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. I'm not, I'm not, I don't support this
0: yeah we our industry is rife for some innovation
1: yeah and uh, there are so many different problems with this hiring process and like interviews and uh, all the relationship between the prospects job seekers uh even like up until they become employees and the companies there's so many problems um yeah it's it's quite painful and uh, frustrating as well especially for mm-hmm. folks who are who yeah who are not in the same position as you are or more experienced folks who who basically have a lineup of companies who want to hire them so yeah for for those entry level and junior folks it's definitely yeah i empathize with with their situation because it's not getting easier it's not getting easier but i think like as a as a summary of what you mentioned several times during the conversation and then we'll wrap up um i think the key takeaway that i completely agree with is that you need to know who you are you need to understand yourself and not misrepresent um, your personality and um, what you know Mm -hmm. and this will eventually attract the right companies and detract the companies that will not actually you will not behave yet Mm -hmm. even though there is like another said there is a benefit of of experiencing less enjoyable environments and experiences because frankly I learned probably even more from those experiences about (laughs) not just myself but like what how things should be done in a team uh, as a hire manager as a leader right so it's definitely a person learns from both sides of this kind of 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 the both types of the experiences so there Mm -hmm. is value to that as well but in the long term definitely knowing yourself and really being able to Pre-screen companies uh, will help you go deeper into really tailoring your resume, your portfolio, your presentations to that particular company and their business problems and their audience and their like their hiring managers, versus trying to spray and pray and uh, tackle the whole market and then like b- get lost in the sea of the same uh, bland and uh, generic looking profiles. So yeah, it's almost like yeah, I, I love the quote that you said that I heard before too, uh, you are, how do you say it? You are the expert of yourself. Or? Yeah, yeah.
0: It, an interview is all about you and there's only one expert on planet earth and that's you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it, totally, yeah, 100% true. Awesome, awesome. I think that's, uh, we've covered so many questions and I truly enjoyed this conversation, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for your time and for, for sharing your, Wits and, uh, and humor and uh, obviously wisdom and ex- experience from, from, your, from your career. If folks uh, would want to find you online, maybe if you're open to this and ask a question or maybe just connect and uh, uh, have a chat about something related to UX world, uh, where can they find you?
0: Honestly, probably the best place to look me up is probably LinkedIn, uh, Rachel Krebs chilling on linkedin hit me up
1: do you ever chill there or is just uh, a a gazillion of unread messages there
0: i look at it from time to time y'all i'm paying attention (laughs) god but i might be slow i've already said it like six times lazy yeah
1: yeah yeah. keep in mind rachel is lazy and uh make sure (laughs) make sure that the message that you send her if you do is very crisp, concise, and to the point.
0: That's right. Don't you put in no funky fonts. I won't be able to read it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks again, Rachel.
0: Yep, thanks.
1: Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.